Well, thank you, and it's great to be here today and looking forward to this opportunity to get to know more of you here in the church family at Community. And, and uh, as I was coming into this role at Clearwater Christian College, my good colleague Terry Wilde said, you need to meet Ken Brown, Pastor Ken Brown. And so I kept talking about meeting Ken, and I thought, okay, let's do that. Let's find those opportunities, and we did. And, and uh, there was no disappointment at all. I was really glad to meet your pastor, and, and uh, we had a delightful lunch, and, and I think that uh, I was blessed. I know I was blessed in that conversation, and look forward to many more of those opportunities. So I bring you greetings from Clearwater Christian College, I bring you greetings from our faculty and our staff and our students, and then as well, it's great to meet some of you who are here who have connections, either you've been uh, at the college in the past, and so you have graduated, you're alumni, or, or maybe you have uh, children there, or, or in pastor's case, maybe you're thinking about coming. I appreciate that, that endorsement and that recommendation. That means a lot to us. And if you'd like to talk more about Clearwater, we certainly would be happy to do that. We didn't bring any literature with us at this, uh, on this particular journey. I'll be back in the area again in October, so if there are more that you'd like to, to know about the college, I'd be glad to, to spend more time with you in that kind of a venue or that kind of a, an opportunity. So perhaps we can schedule that. But if we get your name and address, we'll, we'll just uh, you know, flood you with information as, they, uh, as we typically do in, in these kind of things. But let me just uh, give you a little bit of an update. We welcomed a real great group of young people who came to the campus as freshmen. And then we also had, after we got them settled in, the returning students come. And, and it's just really a blessing for me to see the quality of the young people who are at Clearwater Christian College this year and, and really intent on following Christ and, and studying hard and working in the routines and the discipline that they're engaged in there as college students. Uh, we did start the school year, however, with a little bit of a challenge, and we did grieve, and, and, uh, but at the same time rejoiced. We were sorrowful and we grieved at the loss of one of our students in a motorcycle accident, but we didn't sorrow like those who have no hope. We have the hope of eternal life, and Nolan Price, who went on to be with his great God and Savior, uh, was uh, indeed a, a believer, and, and it was clear for, uh, from his testimony how he knew the Lord and walked with him, and, and so we did start that way in this particular school year, and it did, in a sense, create a little bit of a pause, and I think put the semester in a great perspective. What's life all about? Why are we here? What are we doing? And where, where are we ultimately wanting to grow and grow? So we're just about under 500 students there this year, and, and all of them are working on pursuing a gospel-driven liberal arts education. And, and uh, that's really been a joy to see how we can use that tool of a liberal arts education that's driven and informed and infused with a, a healthy, robust understanding of the gospel and uh, then equip the students who will ultimately take what they get and then go back out into their communities and, and contribute to, be part of, a strong and a healthy church. We want to have a very strong ecclesiology at Clearwater Christian College and that whole idea of informing the students in a gospel-driven way, discipling them, and then encouraging them. Hey, go back to your local churches, plug in, and be a vital part of that. Use your giftedness in that particular area. Or maybe you'll go beyond. Maybe you'll go to some remote part of our world, our globe, and you'll plug into the global neighborhood in a significant way, maybe outside the boundaries of the United States of America. But having a, a fully accredited, regionally accredited liberal arts education allows us to do that, and we're excited to have that platform from which to work. As your pastor mentioned, I, I just came into the role uh, back in April, 
and had a wonderful transition with the outgoing president, Dr. Dick Stratton, and took over, in a sense, the responsibilities as of June 1. And now we have the official, the formal ceremony that takes place this week. So I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable with it, but hopefully uh, it won't be about me, but we're going to make much about, of Christ in that opportunity that we'll have next week. And that's really my heart's desire. So I'm determined to lead the college uh, with a very high view of Christ and a very uh, deep commitment to the Word of God and a, and a thorough understanding of, of whole counsel gospel grace and a high view of the church. And, and so this morning, what I'd like to do is really show you how one of those compass points, a high view of Christ and the triune God, really does drive me and create a worldview for me that allows me to to, to step into each day with a deep sense of God's calling in my life. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 23 with me this morning. Psalm 23. Who doesn't know Psalm 23? Wow. It's uh, one of those very familiar psalms, even if you have a very brief familiarity with the gospel or church or any of those kinds of things. You, you know something about perhaps the Lord is my shepherd. Sadly, however, we're, we're probably moving deeper and deeper into a time and a, a period of our history where we can't assume that. But what I want to introduce you to today is, is the God of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The intimate declarations of the Lord to us in Psalm 23 are not only timeless, but they are timely. Now, how often do we come to the psalm in a timely kind of a way, and, and even as we uh, mourned and grieved over the loss of Nolan, we were comforted by our good shepherd as we thought about where he is right now, and the, and the joy and the hope that uh, we also have as, as followers of Christ to one day join him and be with him. But as you think about Psalm 23, the, the psalm speaks to the issues of our heart and to the needs of our immediate circumstances. The Lord is my shepherd. The opening statement here that I have read for you is, it, we, we read it as it's written for us here in this particular text as a very positive affirmation. The Lord is my shepherd. Probably one of the most familiar positive declarations in both the Old and New Testament about who our God is. We read it here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But think about it also as we run forward into the New Testament canon, John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. So you see that, that continuity. And you see the, the appropriateness and the timeliness and the ongoing um, value of the Word of God through every circumstance and situation of life. So those two confessional statements, the Lord is my shepherd, and then what John says in John 10, or what the Lord says and John records it, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. These confessional statements are warm, they're consoling, they're helpful, they're faith-building kind of affirmations that we find in the Scriptures. They are soothing and especially comforting because our divine shepherd 
is the all-wise caretaker of his sheep. The divine shepherd gently leads his sheep to green pastures, to quiet waters, to safe havens. The divine shepherd cares for and protects his people. But when we read that, there's been a lot of literature that's been written with regard to the the shepherd-like aspect of our great God. And rightly so. Not to diminish that in any way. That's a very healthy understanding of how Psalm 23 should be looked at. But what I want to do is bring another dimension to that reading, that shepherd imagery. I want to bring into your attention the awe-inspiring, majestic tones that are royal. The Lord is my shepherd king. And when you think about it, the divine shepherd of Psalm 23.1 is more than an ancient Near Eastern herdsman. He is a royal person. He is a person of royal authority. You say, well, what do you mean? Where are you getting that from? You know, are you just reading that into the text? No, I'm not. You see, the shepherd in the ancient Near Eastern world was a person of royalty. For example, in Egypt, the gods and the monarchs were viewed as shepherds. They were shepherd kings, shepherd gods. In fact, Sen-Usert, a king of Egypt, says that Ammon, the god Ammon, appointed him shepherd of his land. So you need to read Psalm 23 and Psalm 23.1, not just as looking at it through the eyes of a herdsman, but seeing also the royal, majestic imagery that comes with this that really creates a reality for us of who our God is. You see, the Scriptures, the, the scriptures biblically drive us and inform us, create for us an ultimate reality. And what is that reality? That reality is the God that we love and serve, the God who saved us, the God that we sang about in so many of these beautiful songs this morning is the great shepherd king of your life and of my life. Like the kings of the ancient world who were referred to as shepherds, the Lord is my shepherd king. In fact, think about it. Think about a couple of passages as I put this in perspective for you. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. David, my servant, shall be king over them. They shall have one shepherd. He'll be king. There'll be one shepherd. They will also walk in my ways and in my judgments and observe my statutes, statutes and do them. Jeremiah 23, the Lord indicts the kings of Israel for not shepherding the people of Israel. So you see that connection? It's not just in the ancient literature of, of Egypt and the ancient world out of which the scriptures came, but it's part of the biblical worldview of who God is. The confession, the Lord is my shepherd, is like saying, the Lord is my king. And so when you read Psalm 23, 1, you need to think about him, yes, as that one who will comfort and console and protect and provide, but you need to also see him as the undefeated king of kings, God of gods, and Lord of lords. You need to see him in that way. You need to see him from that perspective. Psalm 10, verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. We must, and we come today to celebrate the the kingship of Christ. You know, our Christ, here's another aspect of our biblical worldview that creates ultimate reality for us. Christ is not only 
one of many gods. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords, you see. We're serving the King. We are serving the Christ. We are worshiping the shepherd of our soul. Psalm 44, verse 4, the writer there says, You are my King and my God. The Lord is my shepherd. In fact, the New Testament Gospel writer Matthew declared that Christ, the ruler out of Judah, will shepherd Israel. See, not that neat how that, that comes together, those, those aspects of royalty and shepherding and care and compassion? And then he will do the work of judgment by, shepherd, or by separating the sheep from the goats. So you see how that works there in the end time. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 5 anticipates the ro- return of the royal Christ, the chief shepherd, who will reward his sheep with a crown of glory. So with that in mind, what do we do with this? The Lord is my shepherd. What do, we, what do we do with this? How do you respond to a person of royal authority? You know, if the president were to come in, or the queen were to walk in, or some royal dignitary was, was to arrive in, in our service, how would we respond? What would we do? How would we, how would we show respect how do you respond to a person of royal authority is one thing. But let me take it to another dimension or another angle. How do you respond to a person of royal authority who's lovingly committed to you? You know, you think about it from that angle as well. You know, and I think we should indeed be people who are glad and who rejoice and who celebrate the greatness of our God. Psalm 149 verse 2 says, Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. And I'd say, Community Baptist Church, let's rejoice in our king and our maker, the shepherd of our soul this morning. So the second statement that you see here in Psalm 23 is, again, a very positive statement of condition or status said in a negative way, I will lack nothing. He makes me, or I should, excuse me, I shall not be in want. It's a positive statement of condition or status said in a negative way. I will lack nothing. You know, when I, when I think about, I mean, just think about the craziness of your life. Who's in, who's in charge? The uncertainties of our economy, the uncertainties of our day, the uncertainties of your, your job, the uncertainties within your family, the uncertainties of your health, you know, all of these things. I mean, you can, dr- you can drill down into any, any point in life and you can step back and you can fall into a deep pit of panic. <laughs> you know, what do I do? But yet when you say, okay, when you, when you go back to that affirming confessional statement, the Lord is my shepherd king, I will lack nothing. Do you really believe that? I, I would have to say at times I believe that. But at other times, I'm fighting the fight of faith to enjoy that promise. You know, so I'm, I'm fighting the fight of faith to constantly orient my life in light of the ultimate reality that the Scriptures declare for me, which is Jesus Christ and His wonderful greatness. The verb in that sentence pictures a situation in which there will never be a time of need. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 8, I, you know, it would be great if we, like the writer of Ecclesiastes, would say, garments will always be white and the hand will not lack oil. And that's what our God promises. He'll care for us. 
And then I think you have to understand, we make that kind of statement and we think, yeah, but you don't know my world. You don't know my needs and how deep and how significant they are. But I can, I can assure you on the basis of God's word that in his time, in his way, he will care for you. He'll provide for you. You will never be abandoned by him. And that's the hope that we have. The affirmation of the psalm anticipates, I think, what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. The one who has redeemed us has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So what could I possibly want? Why should I worry? Why should I be driven to panic and fear and uncertainty? Then as you look down through the psalm, you see the psalmist begins to really emphasize the personal and the intimate involvement of the Lord in our life. So that's another piece of ultimate reality. Who is God? And how is He intimately involved? And in fact, biblical Christianity... The biblical worldview is so unique because it stands out in contrast to all other worldviews that, that does not see their ultimate deity as personally involved in your life and in my life as we have declared here in the Scripture. You know, so you start peeling the onion with different belief systems and it really gets down to this one question. How involved is your God in your life? How, how involved is He willing to be in your life? And here the scriptures affirm, look at these statements. He makes me lie down. Just let your eyes grab them as you fall down, as your eyes fall down through the text of scripture. He makes me lie down. He he leads me. He restores my soul. He, He again leads me. His rod and his staff comfort me. His goodness and his mercy follow me. You know, what greater depth of commitment can we have? And I'll try to capture for you the the breadth of that in just a moment. But when you look at what you see here in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, the Lord is... What I love about the language of this text and the way that under the Spirit of God's direction it's put together is that what we find here is this. The Lord is not passive in His extensive care of us. He causes me, is the idea. He causes me to lie down. Again, that that ultimate reality, that understanding of who God is, He's causing me. He's intimately involved in my life. The Lord did not limit the exercise of His care because as you go on and you look at the way the Scripture is written here, it's He'll keep causing me to lie down in green grass and, and wonderful lush pastures. The Lord, according to John 10, verse 9, is the door or the gate to eternal life and secure pasture. The green pasture imagery that you see here in Psalm 23, as well as in John chapter 10, that green pasture imagery is a picture of of safety and provision. It's an image of the abundant life as you look at it here. But maybe... As you sit here and you're listening to me, and I, re- I appreciate so much the attentiveness that you're giving to the Word this morning. As you're thinking about this, maybe you're thinking something like this, I can't even imagine what you're saying in the brokenness of my world right now. I, I, can't, even, I, can't, even, I, can't, I can't relate to what you're saying. Because I'm not there yet. And you see, the beauty of this passage is that yes, the world is broken. Yes, the world is filled with with death and evil and unrighteousness. But our God is the sovereign king over it all. And so what what are we doing? We're fighting a fight of faith to stay focused on the shepherd king. 
and allowing Him to sovereignly work, graciously provide, wonderfully care for us. And that's what's great about a community like Community Baptist Church. When, when we realize as we interact with each other where we are in the brokenness of our world, we come alongside with an arm around the shoulder and we just remind, we speak the gospel. We, we, we remind each other of the ultimate reality laid out and defined for us. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my king. You know, maybe, maybe that expression of love comes uh, not just from a, an armor on the shoulder, but maybe it comes through sacrificial involvement in one another's life. You know, maybe it comes through some financial sharing or investment. You know, it, it, it's, it's the beauty of the body of Christ is just uh, wonderful when you begin to think about how the body functions to care for one another. And, but I think in that care, let's not forget to keep speaking the ultimate reality, speaking the gospel back into that life, into that situation. So there's a foundation. So hope is not ultimately in a tray of brownies. You know, hope is not ultimately in a check that pays this particular bill. But hope is ultimately in the shepherd king. You see, that kind of, of picture. So the Lord leads me by quiet waters. And again, I love the activity and the intensity that comes out in the language of the text here. We're actively and intensively brought to a watering station where rest and refreshment can be enjoyed. And again, as I, I move out from this text into the greater canon of Scripture, I think of Isaiah 32, verse 18, which anticipates a time when my people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwelling, in quiet resting places. Yes, it's kind of an already not yet. You know, yes, we have a measure of this, and we have the comfort and the care of it, but it's going to be even better when we're in the presence of our great God. And so keeping our eyes on what's before us will indeed be what will encourage us. Again, the psalmist reminds us about a day of coming rest. But even better than a watering station, the Lord leads me to deep and lasting living waters. And that deep and lasting living water is Jesus himself. John 4, verse 10 and 11, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And he's trying to say, I'm the living water. I'm the living water. So when you think about Psalm 23, here, and again, it says, He leads me besides quiet waters. Who ultimately is the quiet water? Jesus Himself. That gives us Himself. That satisfies thirst forever. That will ultimately bring us into His presence where we'll enjoy Him forever and ever. How about Revelation 7? Let's, let's run through the canon of Scripture just for a moment. Go all the way to the last book. Revelation 7. Verse 17. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. See that imagery again? He'll shepherd them, lead them to living fountains of water. And God, listen to this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. What a day. What a hope. What a joy. What an anticipation we have. Psalm 23, verse 3, He restores my soul. When sin, pain, 
and suffering marks my life and crushes my soul, the Lord undertakes the work of restoration with me. Have you gone through a a season of breaking in your life recently? Has the Lord kind of gently but yet firmly taken His Word and just continued to point out sin in your life and say, hey, you need to to deal with this. This is keeping us from having a a wonderful relationship. You, You need to deal with this. Have you gone through a season of breaking? Well, there are seasons of restoration as well. And, and here you see that idea. He restores my soul. He guard, guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Lord, in other words, restores, my, restores or returns my soul to a healthy condition. So the hope, the gospel hope that I want to lay before all of you this morning is if the Lord has been breaking you, it's with a view to restoring you to a healthy condition. And so that's the promise of Psalm 23, verse 3. The Lord keeps restoring my soul until I am in His presence. 1 Peter 5, again, He's the God of all grace who restores me, who makes me strong, who makes me firm and steadfast, and in and through suffering will establish me. Again, look at the text. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The text pictures here wagon tracks as paths of righteousness. In other words, our good shepherd king leads us in the tracks that he creates for us, that he approves for us, that are in keeping with his righteous, gracious standards for our lives. How does he do this? You see that there. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not for my own sake. You see that? That's always a crushing process in and of itself where we're reminded that what the Lord is doing and how He's leading, how He's providing, what He's building, what He's shaping is not for you. And as you take the next step at community to go into your building and and see another season of, of life and ministry, it's not for your sake. As I come into this new position at Clearwater Christian College, it's not for my sake. It's not, it's not so I can build and shape the school and everybody will say, wow, Clem did a great job. No, it's all about Christ. You know? And Community Baptist Church is not all about Pastor Brown or Pastor Matt. It's about Christ. And so we're building and shaping a community here in this area of Michigan for the glory of Christ. You know, I'm building and shaping. I'm part of building and shaping a community with a colleague of friends or with a, with a company of friends that are intent on glorifying Christ with our educational tool and the opportunity that we have. So how does, how does God do this? Well, the Lord grants wisdom to recognize the proper way, the psalmist says in Psalm, Proverbs, actually the writer of Proverbs says, not the psalmist, but Proverbs 2 verse 9 says, the Lord grants us wisdom to recognize the proper way. The Lord teaches us the way of wisdom. Again, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.11, and then, how about, let's go to the New Testament. You know, we're, we're, we have, a, we have a, a Bible that is canonically connected. It's one book. It's a wonderful message for us. And so we look at what the, what the writer of Proverbs is saying in Proverbs 2 and in Proverbs 4, but ultimately then we go to what Jesus said in John 16, that the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth, will guide me into all truth. And so when you look at Psalm 23, verse 3, he guides my guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, I'm ultimately thinking, thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Spirit of God. 
thank you for guiding me. How are you doing? How does that happen? You know, do you, do you wait for some mystical message? No, it's, it's through the ministry, it's through the means of the Word, through the ministry of the Spirit, that we understand the wagon tracks of righteousness that God has laid out for us. And we rejoice in that. Why does He do this? For His own name's sake. The restoration, the leading, is not for selfish consumption or self-satisfaction. The ultimate outcome or result of the leading and the restoration is for the sake of His name. And, and that, let's never forget that. Let's never forget that. At your season here in Michigan or in my season in Clearwater, Florida, let's never forget that. Let's, you know, that's a reality that we need to speak into each other's lives repeatedly it's for his sake it's for his name it's for his glory it's for his his wonderful work that will be exalted and then you move into psalm 23 verse 4 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff comfort me you are with me the affirmations of one two and three are interrupted in verse four with the realization of the presence of death and evil in the course of life. So, we, you know, we go through these wonderful affirmations about who the Lord is and what the Lord does and how He, how he passionately and persistently engages Himself in our life. And then the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So all of those affirmations are interrupted now with the realization of death and evil. Notice that at this point, there's a, there's a change in the use of the pronouns. Notice what happens. You go from Psalm 20, in Psalm 23, 1 through 3, where He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. Now, could you imagine, I mean, I, I, could, I can envision a time here at Community Baptist where we, we turn the microphone around and we say, speak into our lives. Tell us about what God is doing in your life. And you'd get up and you'd say, you know, the Lord led me this way. The Lord guided me. The Lord provided for me. But then there's something different about 23.4 where the psalmist now says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Do you see how that changes the perception? It's like the affirming statement, but here's another level of intimacy where it's like the, the microphone or the, the confessional statement you're, you're, you're turning away from the audience and you're turning to the Lord and say, you're with me. You're with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's subtle, but I think it's significant in terms of what the, Lord, what the writer is doing with the text. Instead of confessing he will, David says, you are. He didn't say, you'll be with me. He said, you are with me. And he made that, that exclamation point evident to us in the way that the text is written. The you are with me statements are found throughout the scriptures. I won't rehearse all of them, but I think of the most popular one or probably the most clear one, if I could say it that way, is Hebrews 13.5. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And then we go on here and you see that the writer says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So presence, divine presence. And if, if there's anything that I could communicate to you this morning that I know I need to hear, that I would want to communicate to you is this. The ultimate reality that's defined for us by the Word of God is this. God is with you. 
Those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is with you. God is with you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So, so maybe tomorrow you're thinking, I, I've, got, I've, got an, I've got a fast tonight from 12 o'clock on because I'm going for a procedure or a surgery. Or, or maybe you're thinking about sitting down with uh, uh, you know, someone who's going to evaluate you tomorrow and there's anxiety. What, what, what is it? What is it? about tomorrow that's creating today's anxiety? Maybe I could say it that way. What is it about tomorrow that's creating today's anxiety? Don't forget about the presence of the Lord with you. And then your rod, and the Lord says, your rod and your staff, they're with me. And, and again, this is, these are pictures of comfort and security and protection. And, and these are ways that the shepherd would bring back wandering sheep. He would use the crook of his rod to do that. You would also see the shepherd laying a the rod on the backs of his sheep to count them. He knows them. He knows where they are and he, he watches over them and he protects them. And, and then he uses the, the rod and the staff. If you turned it the other way, it's like a club to beat off predators. And so you, you see all of these things working together in the imagery here. But you see in the hands of a leader, the rod or the staff, the king's scepter, these things are also symbols of authority. Moses used the rod to strike the rock to produce water. During the wilderness wanderings, God told Moses, take the rod and assemble the congregation. In the book of Revelation, Christ is the one who will rule all nations with the rod of iron. So think about it. I want you to feel the weight about this. Feel the weight of it. I've been helped by doing some... some I won't say deep reading, but just getting into the book that has been co-edited by John Piper and, and uh, Taylor, making some observations about suffering. And as I think about how perhaps some of the insights that I learned there could apply to this particular situation, I, I think we need to see at this moment in Psalm 23 that the Lord never lies to us. He never disappoints us. But the Lord does go about His shepherding and his royal care of us to at times disappoint our false hopes. That's what the good shepherd does. That's what a royal king does. He, he goes about working in your life and my life to crush false hopes. He breaks us in that way knowing that he can restore us because he understands and he knows that his voice speaks deeper than what hurts, brighter than what is dark, more enduring than what is lost, and truer than what has ever happened. And so when you think about being a sheep under this kind of shepherd's rule, these are the kinds of things that you can see. Psalm 23, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, a full table, plenty of food. God's blessing and provision. It's not spoiled by the enemy in any way. And again, I think about the canon of Scripture. I run to Christ in this. The Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, destroys my last enemy. Death and burial and resurrection has destroyed the last enemy. The resurrected Christ has destroyed death, the last enemy, by means of His resurrection. The Good Shepherd will set a table in His kingdom that we will sit at, that we'll enjoy you know, I think you, let's not be people who are just so focused on the moment. 
Let's be people who can step back and see the storyline unfold. Where we are in the moment is understood in light of what's happened in the past and who God is and what God has done. And where we are in the moment is not exactly where we'll be in the future. You know, so seeing the seeing it, you know, and of course when we go through the trials of life, what do they do? They force us to drill down in and think only about our pain, our suffering, our situation. But we need to we need to step back and see what the good shepherd king is doing in our lives and see that he's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's anointing my head with oil. Again, it's it's blessing. It's provision. It's you know, good things. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The cup conveys the idea of love and comfort and strength and fellowship. I think about, again, going to the New Testament, Romans 15, verse 3. He makes me overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse 5, as you look at it, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Uses Just think about it. This, this text is using a prepared table an anointed head, and an overflowing cup to teach us about the blessings and the provisions of God. Okay, now just stick with me for a moment. The text declares that the Lord is the source of all blessing in our life. You prepare a table. You anoint my head with oil. The text affirms that the Lord is committed to giving blessing and making provision. Okay, that's, that's what we're looking at here. Okay, those are, those are the affirming statements. That's the good news you're hearing this morning from Psalm 23. So think about this. The lying down, the leading, the guiding, the divine presence of 23, 1 to 4, is followed by the promise of blessing and provision. Do you see that? What are, what are the affirmations of Psalm 23, 1 through 4? They're, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or nor forsake you. So those promises of leading, guiding, divine presence are now followed by statements of provision, promise, and blessing interrupted by the reality of death and evil in life. Psalm 23, I think, creates a pretty realistic view of life for us. The text reminds us that death, in Psalm 23.4, that evil, in Psalm 23.4, our enemies, in Psalm 23.5, will not, get this, will not obstruct the flow of God's blessing and provision to us. I... Who else would you want to give your soul to? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my king. The psalm then ends in verse 6 with the statement, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will literally pursue me. Goodness is the blessing of God in the widest sense. Mercy is the steadfast, loyal love of God for us. Now, if I ask this question, you're going to date yourself. Okay? So I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay? How many here remember the, the hymn writer, Al Smith? 
living hymns. Remember that? Okay. So some of you are willing. Okay. I remember. Okay. <laughs> that was sort of, you know, maybe that was, uh, maybe that was the, uh, I won't say that. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> but there, he used to always tell these little cute stories that went along with the hymn. And the reason why I stop and pause here is because I always remember it. Uh, surely goodness and mercy. There was one little boy who heard the, them sing that song and he thought it was surely good, surely good Miss Murphy will follow me <laughs> all the days of my life. And, uh, you know, that's not the gospel we want to speak into each other's life. The gospel we want to speak is in that goodness and mercy, God's blessing and his steadfast, loyal love to us. The word for mercy that's used there is probably my favorite Old Testament word, chesed. And it just speaks to that idea of steadfast, loyal, unfailing, committed love. And that's the affirmation. So what, what we're hearing, what, what the good news I'm saying to you, and it's not me, it's, this is what I'm, I'm the ambassador telling you what the great king says this morning. And the great king is saying to you this morning, trying to create a reality for you in the midst of your own pain and suffering, which is this, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The commitment and the steadfast, loyal love of our God will follow you all the days of your life. Well, Psalm 23 has so many comforting images and tones, royal tones, but it also has some redemptive tones. I'd just like to end with, and this I will close, perhaps the most significant thing that we could perhaps consider at this moment is the fact that the shepherd imagery that we see in Psalm 23 is also redemptive. We looked at it from a shepherding pastoral side. We considered it from a royal, regal, awe-inspiring, kingly side. But I want to close with the redemptive tones of Psalm 23. I want you to consider the big story, redemptive themes tied to Psalm 23 in Psalms 22 and in Psalms 24. All right, and what are you talking about? What, what I think you have in Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are some big story redemptive themes that come together uniquely in this songbook of the Old Testament. Psalm 22, verse 15, looks forward to a crucified Messiah. Psalm 23 anticipates the coming of the Good Shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 24 celebrates the sovereign work of God as creator and king. Isn't that wonderful? How the psalm, you look at a divine organization to a songbook. And Psalm 22 is singing to us, anticipating the coming suffering Messiah. Psalm 23 is focused on the, the good shepherd. Psalm 24 is focused on the great king, the sovereign creator. And so you see the royal, redemptive themes creating reality for us this morning as we look at those, those four ideas, those three ideas. So like the Good Shepherd, the incarnate Christ compassionately viewed the harassed and helpless crowds as sheep without a shepherd. Yet his compassion for the helpless sheep was not aborted or distracted from their true needs. He fulfilled the decree purposes of His coming by acting in an eternally significant way. He laid down His life for the sheep. John chapter 10. Christ, the Good Shepherd, the One who knows His sheep, gave His life for them. Christ, the Good Shepherd, gave His life for you this morning. For this church, 
this church has no reason to move out of this building into the next location or even to gather tomorrow, next Sunday, in this building if this is not the reality that you're living and rooted in deeply. You're here today because of what Christ has done to lay down his life for you, for you, and for you, for your family, for this community, for this world. And here's where the shepherd imagery and its related theology really blossoms. The Lord Jesus Christ, my shepherd, gave his life for me. He laid down his life for me. He loved me extravagantly and sacrificed himself for me. But his, his death, burial, and resurrection did not end with just staying in the grave. According to Hebrews 13, he is the God of peace who brought back from the dead, or was brought back from the dead, the good shepherd of the sheep. The cosmic sovereign victory of Christ over sin and death was not just merely cosmic. It was personal. It was for you. It was for me. It was orchestrated so that we, like straying sheep, would be brought back to him. And because of this extravagant love, he is the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So what's the best way to summarize and bring it to a close? Psalm 23 is not an unrealistic presentation of a better life. It's not. This is not a happy life, a better life, six verses to, you know, a happy, fulfilled Christian life. It's not a prosperity gospel message of any kind. It's a personal message from a personal God appropriate for the real hurt and the real pain of your life right now. We will benefit from this psalm when we see the Lord Jesus in a very personal way. He's a pastoral, caring person. He's a royal, sovereign person. He's the only eternal, caring, royal person who cares for you. Barack Obama does not care for you. Mitt Romney doesn't care for you like Christ does. Margaret Thatcher doesn't care like Christ does. He is my good shepherd who completely satisfies every temporal, every eternal, every challenging need of my life, every detail both now and forever. The challenge that we face is to really enjoy him and trust him. And to say, okay, Lord, I'll allow you to manage my care as you determine best. Oh boy, that's a hard statement to make, isn't it? Can we say, Lord, I'll... Because of these affirmations, I'll allow you to do managed care as you think best. You see, the challenge we face is to enjoy him in this way. Again, I quote from Piper and Justin Taylor, the, the real God is up to better things in your life. He says and does weighty and immediate things that engage what you are facing. He pursues purposes that are better than you imagine. He refuses to become your lucky charm. And makes all, you know, he's not, Jesus is not your lucky charm who makes all bad things disappear from your world. He is your royal, sovereign king who's caring for you only as he can. And again, there's a not yet of Psalm 23 that's unpacked in Revelation. Therefore, they are before the throne, serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them 
nor any scorching, scorching heat. For the Lord, their God, is the Lamb at the center, and He's the one who will wipe away every tear. You see, the best way for us to be the church is to be good sheep who will follow the lead of our good shepherd. And the best way for us to deal with the uncertainties of life is to be good sheep who will follow the lead of our good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for these affirmations and declarations about who you are. And, and Father, we're thankful for the good news of Psalm 23 that's created a reality for us that, that we are not prone to seek. We're prone to run away from it. And so, Lord, we lay before you this morning. We lay out our hearts before you, our motives, our desires, our, our, our false hopes. And we say, Lord, we want to just humbly submit to you as our shepherd king. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.